Hey, welcome to Stories After Midnight. The series we will be reading today is called When I Was a Child, I Went Missing in the Forest for Over a Month. I really hope you enjoy it, and if you do, please give a like on the video, and if you're feeling super awesome, you can subscribe or leave a comment, you know, do the things. But if not, I just hope that you enjoy it, and without further ado, welcome to Stories After Midnight. They never stopped searching, but they never found me. A month later, I just walked out of the forest on my own. The strangest thing was, I looked perfectly okay. My clothes were clean. My body was unburdened. I was fed and I couldn't remember anything, besides going to the forest with my grandmother. They couldn't figure out how an eight-year-old boy survived in the forest for a full month and came back unscathed. I still remember the look of relief on my grandmother's face when she saw me. The tears streamed down her face, making me cry too. The way she held me so tightly, not wanting to lose me again. I went to therapy after that, but no matter how much they tried to jog my memory, it remained empty. There was no real trauma to my mind, so shortly after I stopped going. I moved on from this strange experience, not able to fully grasp the impossibility of what had happened at that young age. But I'm older now, and even though I cannot remember it, I can understand just how scared my grandmother must have been. But I'm not here to tell you a story about something that I cannot remember. I started remembering recently, and two days ago I struck up a conversation with my grandmother about that odd event. I asked her, do you remember when I went missing for a month? Her expression instantly grew grim, and she looked at me with this intensity in her eyes. Despite her old age, my grandmother was a fierce woman. I remember, she said in a hushed whisper, her gaze dropping down to my feet. I started having dreams of the forest, I told her truthfully. She looked back up at me again, her eyes showing a glint of surprise. Dreams? She asked me to elaborate. Yes. I'm always walking in them. The forest is all around me. I can hear sounds, leaves crunching, branches snapping, and birds chirping. I can feel the warmth of the sun on my skin. My grandmother listens intently. I can see her tapping her fingers on the chair in a nervous tick. Then the forest slowly grows silent. First the chirping, then the trees swaying, leaves crunching, branches snapping. The sun disappears too and it grows dark, but I continue walking, and each time I end up in front of a staircase. I get chills just thinking about that staircase. A staircase? It is always in perfect condition, untouched by Mother Nature. It looks like the staircase had been taken straight out of a house, but they lead nowhere. It's a different one in each dream. Some are old, some are modern. My dream ends the moment I take the first step. My grandmother sighs loudly. It's not a sigh of relief, it's more like she's sighing because a burden had been taken off her shoulders. Do you know how you went missing? She asks me. No, I admit. One day you were playing outside in the backyard like you always did. I was in the kitchen making lunch. She looks at a picture beside her on a dresser. It's a picture of both of us taken when I was seven. She picks it up and continues speaking. I always taught you and reminded you not to wander off into the forest, but despite that, I still kept my eye on you through the windows. So I wandered off? 
My grandmother chuckles. No, I wish that was what happened instead. She places the picture back and takes a deep breath. I was watching you play with some sticks, having completely forgotten the potatoes that I was cooking. The water started running over the top and I ran over to clean up. It only took a minute or two. When I was back at the window, her lips and hands were trembling and she took hold of her armrests. I swallowed the saliva that had collected at the top of my mouth. I saw you walking into the forest, but you weren't alone. I saw myself, holding your hand, walking into the forest. She began tearing up. I ran after you. I screamed and shouted and looked for you, but the moment you entered the forest, it was like you simply disappeared. My hands began trembling too. The memory of walking into the forest with my grandmother tugging at my mind. I stood and walked over to my grandmother to hold her. It wasn't your fault, I said. She cried in my arms. I cried too. After a while, we calmed down and began talking again. What was it that took me? I questioned her. I thought it was a skinwalker at first, she answered, wiping her nose with a tissue. But if it were a skinwalker... You wouldn't have returned alive. You wouldn't have returned at all. So I don't know what took you, but I'm glad you returned. I wouldn't have been able to bear losing you too, like I lost your parents. I squeezed her hand that I still held tightly and smiled at her. Not wanting to stress my grandmother anymore, I dropped the topic. And shortly after, I drove home. I had a dream that night. It was the same dream, but something was different. In my previous dreams, I was always alone, but in this dream, I felt a presence with me. No matter how hard I looked, I couldn't see it, but I knew it was there. I didn't feel like it wanted to harm me, but it didn't feel like it wanted to help me either. When I got to the stairs, this time I recognized them. I had seen these stairs before, but I couldn't remember where. There were only six steps, and unlike the rest, the stairs looked old and abandoned. They were wooden but they had begun rotting. When my feet moved to step onto them, I felt a strong hand on my shoulder, and the dream ended before I took that step. Once I woke up, I remembered where I had seen them. They belonged to an old cabin in the woods. The cabin was maybe a mile out from my grandmother's house, and I decided to go for a hike. I informed my wife that I'd be gone for the majority of the day and apologized to my six-year-old for leaving so early during the holidays. Today was a Thursday. My grandmother wasn't a fan of my idea to go out alone, so she decided to accompany me. She knew this forest like the back of her hand, so having her come along was reassuring. But her back is so bad, so I also wished she'd stay behind, but there was no convincing her otherwise. The hike took a little under an hour, and we ended up at the cabin, or what was left of it. The entire wooden structure had collapsed onto itself. Did you know about this? I asked my grandmother. No, I haven't been here for years. I don't think this is where you were for that entire month. We looked here almost every day. I nodded in agreement. Still, maybe it has some clues. My grandmother sighed and sat down on the mossy ground. You can look around, she motioned with her hand. Be careful. Despite me already being a grown adult, she still worries. I chuckled to myself. I moved around some of the smaller pieces of the collapsed house to take a better look at it as a whole. 
And come to think of it, I remember this being a single-story cabin, so why do I remember a staircase? How could a staircase be used here? And then it clicked. A basement. Do you remember a basement in this cabin? I yelled over to my grandmother. No? Why? Oh. Oh! I grinned. She figured it out as well. She walked over to where I was, and I began trying to move some of the heavier pieces around. Even if the house collapsed, the foundations were strong, and the basement should still be there. After about half an hour, I finally found a broken floorboard, revealing not dirt or moss, but darkness below it. I began trying to pull it out and break it in. After a while, the hole was big enough to look inside. I pulled out my smartphone and turned on the flash. The smell coming from inside was putrid. I couldn't begin to describe what it smelled like. What I saw inside made my blood run cold. Shelves with glass jars, a white liquid inside of them. Inside the liquid were body parts, eyes, ears, fingers, organs, and everything in between. Opposite the shelves was a pile of bodies, and some were rotten beyond recognition. Some were skeletons, while others looked fresh. Next to the bodies, I saw a staircase, the staircase from my dream. I remembered it vividly, walking down these steps. I pulled my head out and puked on the spot. What? What is it? My grandmother asked. Let's get out of here and call the police. We began walking in the direction that we came from. Yeah, there were dead bodies. Skeletons, uh, organs. I couldn't even begin describing what I saw to my grandmother. Dear God, is all she could mutter out. I called the police once we got back to her house and had to guide them to the collapsed building. The younger policeman puked when he got a whiff of the smell of the dead bodies. Something clicked in me then. Watching those two policemen stand around holding their noses, I remembered. My grandmother took me to this house that day I went missing, or whoever was posing as her. She took me down those steps into the basement. There were no dead bodies back then, and the shelves were empty. She gave me some mushroom soup to eat, after which I dozed off. I woke up tied to a wooden table in the dark basement. My clothes were gone and it was cold, and I felt a stinging pain in my chest. Despite my best efforts, I couldn't even lift my head. I had no energy. I remember crying then, after my tears dried out and I regained some energy. I suddenly heard some shuffling above. Are you here, Mark? Mark, where are you? People were looking for me. I heard footsteps above me. A woman sighed. He's not here. No, let's go. I tried to scream and shout for help, but nothing came out. That's the last thing I remember. My desperate attempts to cry for help. Mark? The younger policeman spoke, breaking me out of my daze. Huh? Yeah? I asked, blinking a couple of times. Are you okay? Yeah, I just remembered something suddenly, I answered truthfully. The policeman nodded and walked back, over to his partner. I took a deep breath and looked around the forest. Thinking about it, it was a creepy place. For some reason, I had the feeling that we were being watched. I couldn't shake it off. Someone was watching us. Okay, let's head back. We called him back up. This is beyond us two. I nodded and followed the policeman out of the forest. The feeling of being watched didn't disappear until we were out. 
I hugged my grandmother goodbye and went home that day. I told my wife everything that happened and what we found. She was mortified. I had another dream last night. It was completely different from the rest. I was no longer walking in the forest. I was in the basement of that cabin. I could hear footsteps above, and for some reason those footsteps scared me a lot. I was trembling in fear. Eventually I heard them leave the cabin and relaxed. Then I heard a new pair of footsteps enter. They were lighter, smaller. The secret door to the basement suddenly opened, and I saw a disheveled boy with messy brown hair and torn clothes smile at me. Let's go. I woke up after that. I couldn't remember his face, only his long, messy hair and his smile. Who is he? I don't know why I'm starting to remember these things now. I don't know what happened to me during that moment I spent in the forest, or why I forgot everything. But I want to know. I want to find out. I'll be going back to the forest today to see if I remember anything else. I'll post an update, once I figure out something new. I wanted to address some things before I begin. First of all, I am born and raised in Canada. To some of you thinking that my parents' passing might somehow be related, it's not. They died in a car crash, according to my grandmother. And for people worrying about me going to the forest alone, I won't. I'll be going today. I wasn't able to yesterday, and you're about to find out why. I got a call last morning from the police department that went something like this. Hello, this is the police department. Am I speaking with Mark? Hi, uh, yes, this is Mark. How may I help you? We want you to come in today for questioning. Is it about the cabin? I'm afraid I can't share any details. Could you come in by 12 p.m.? Of course. I grabbed my car keys and slipped out of my pajamas into something more appropriate and told my wife I'd be going to the police station. My son was bummed out again that I was leaving so early. Usually, we played together on the weekends. I'll make it up to you, okay, buddy? While that did make him brighten up a little bit, he was still sulking. Looking at my son like this, his disheveled bed hair, crumpled Tom and Jerry pajamas, it reminded me of my own childhood a little bit. It reminded me of a bittersweet memory, the last time I saw my parents. It was also the weekend, a Sunday. Usually we'd sleep in on Sundays and then go have fun, but they woke me up early this day, said they had to get to work and that I'd stay with grandmother. I sulked too back then, and I remember the exact words my father told me. I'll make it up to you when I get back. But that made me brighten up a little, and I also loved staying with grandma. I tried thinking about them every day since. I desperately wanted to remember their faces, their smiles, but I was young. I hadn't made many memories. So over time, their faces grew blurry in my mind, and now I can only see the pictures my grandmother has shown me of them. Daddy? Liam places his small hand onto mine. I was in the days again. And that's been happening more and more, often where I just lose track of what's happening around me and disappear into a train of thought. I'll be going now, Liam. We'll play later, okay? His eyes sparkled like the ever-starry night sky. Liam nodded solemnly. I had a feeling that nod wasn't exactly for me, but more for him, as if he made a decision. I watched as his lips curled into a smile and he ran off back into the living room. I heard my wife laugh from a distance, and when I looked over, she was shaking her head in amusement. I'll be going now. I chuckled out a goodbye and walked out the front door. 
I tried to rack my brain during the short 15-minute drive to the station. Tried to remember the boy from my dream, but all my thinking only resulted in seeing a blurry vision of my dream. But all my thinking only resulted in seeing a blurry version of my dream that only grew more blurry and confusing the more I thought about it. And once I arrived at the station, I noticed that the parking lot was unusually full for a Friday. And as soon as I walked inside, I was met with two large men dressed in black. Follow us, they said in a commanding voice, and I obliged, falling in place behind them. We passed through a series of corridors and a couple flights of stairs. Eventually, we ended up in the front of an elevator, which was strange since we should be at the very back of this building judging by how long we were walking. The smaller of the two men put in a keycard and the elevator door opened. The taller one motioned for me to step inside. The combination is 1473. I nodded, looking around this futuristic elevator. It had no floor buttons but a combination pad instead. I input the combination and the door began closing. The two men turned around and began walking in the direction that we came from. The elevator buzzed to life and began descending. And what I thought would be a couple second ride actually lasted a couple of minutes. It eventually slowed to a stop, and another set of doors opened up behind me instead, catching me by surprise. I was met with a dimly lit hallway that seemed to have no end. Both walls were lined with doors, each one about twenty feet apart. One of the first doors were opened, and I noticed a middle-aged woman with brown hair tied into a bun standing in the doorway, motioning for me to come over. My feet began moving in her direction, as I took in the craziness of my situation. When I was within a couple feet of the woman, I realized that I recognized her. She was one of the people I spoke with when I walked out of the forest a month later. I don't really know why I remember her so clearly, but I do. I think her name is Laura. She stepped aside and let me enter the small room. It looked like your average interrogation room. Two simple chairs with a small square-shaped table between them, and on the opposite side, a one-sided mirror, a door to the left of that. I sat with my back to the mirror, and she sat in front of me. Do you remember me? She asked. Yes, you were one of the people looking for me when I went missing. Laura? Yes, yeah. It's nice to see you're doing well, Mark. She pulled out a folder out of her leather bag and placed it on the table. Do you know why you're here? Because of the cabin? I answered, leaning forward and placing my arms on the table. She nodded. It is related, uh, but not the reason. Why then? You went missing for a month in a forest, as an eight-year-old, and came back completely fine. Better than fine, actually. She began going through her folder. The forest is around 709 square miles. There were over a hundred volunteers that were looking for you, some going as far as a dozen miles deep into the forest. I leaned back and took a deep breath. Yet you weren't found. Isn't that strange? I nodded. Then, a month later, you just walk out of the forest looking perfectly fine, as if nothing happened, with no memory of the past month. She pulled out a picture from the folder and slid it across the metallic surface of the table. We searched this cabin a dozen times, the basement too, and there was no sign that you'd been there. My eyes grew wide. I recalled something about that cabin yesterday. Laura stopped going through the folder and looked me in the eyes, urging me to go on. When I was taken... Taken? Laura interrupted me, 
This is going to sound crazy, but I didn't wander off into the forest. Someone or something that looked like my grandmother took me to that basement. She began writing something down. I remember being fed some sort of soup and then promptly passing out. When I woke up, I was tied to some table, naked and cold. I swallowed my saliva. I remember having this stinging feeling in my chest. I don't know how long I was there, but at some point I heard voices. People calling my name. They were in the cabin. I tried to scream and shout, but nothing came out. She stopped writing and looked back up at me again. Can you remove your shirt? That request caught me by surprise. I stood up and pulled my shirt off. Laura stood up and walked over to me. There doesn't appear to be any scarring. Can you point to where the stinging pain was at? I moved my palm and placed it on the left side of my chest near my heart. Somewhere around here. She examined the area more. She examined the area some more and sighed in disappointment. You can dress again. She walked back to her folder and sat down, beginning to write again. I put on my white shirt and sat back down too. What did you see in the cabin yesterday? She leaned back, holding a pen between her fingers, her legs crossed. Shelves full of glass jars with various human remains in them. A pile of dead bodies some rotten beyond recognition, while others appeared to be newly deceased. There was that god-awful stench of rotting bodies, too. She began writing again. Why did you seek out the cabin? I crossed my arms and sighed. I had a dream about the stairs leading down into that basement, so I decided to check it out. Laura nodded, but she wasn't looking at me. She was looking behind me at the mirror. Did you see, hear, or feel anything strange in the forest? How did you know? I was baffled. She knew so much. All of this was so strange. Had I told this story to an average policeman, I'd be admitted immediately. But Laura seems to believe me. She seems to know more than she's letting on. What was it? I felt a presence. As if something or someone was following us. She began writing again. What are you writing? Merely documenting our conversation. She answered in a monotone voice. Then what is the camera for? Pointed with my chin to the top left corner of the room. Laura stopped writing and looked towards it. It's broken. Then without missing a beat, she asked another question. Do you remember anything else? I leaned back and thought about it for a moment. Do I remember anything else? Last night I had a dream of that cabin in that basement. There was another boy, maybe my age, that came to help me. Her eyes grew wide. Another boy. Yes, he looked all dirty, with messy brown hair and torn clothes. But it was just a dream, so I don't... Laura interrupted me with another question while sliding another picture to me. Was this him? The picture showed a young brown-haired boy, wearing red overalls and a big, wide smile on his face. His eyes were obscured as if blurred out. I couldn't make them out. I'm not sure. I didn't get a good look at his face in my dream. Laura was simply looking at me, looking into my eyes, and it felt like she was looking into my soul. Who is he? She took the picture back and placed it into her folder. Another boy that went missing during that time period. Did he return like I did? Laura shook her head and continued writing. The silence between us was deafening. I was tapping my foot on the ground in a nervous tick. 
What is going on here? How is my disappearance relevant to the dead bodies discovered in the basement of that cabin yesterday? I finally let my curiosity get the better of me. Laura continued writing, not looking up to face me. I slammed my fist on the table in anger. Damn it, tell me something! A short outburst of anger made her look at me, or rather, behind me. She looked at the mirror and nodded, and then a lock clicked, then another, and another, and soon the door beside the mirror was beginning to open. A man a little taller than me, wearing a black suit and a black top hat with a wooden cane in hand, stepped out. But what caught my attention the most wasn't his attire, it was his eyes. They were a captivating red color. He wore a smirk on his face. Nice to meet you, Mark. My name is Lucifer. Had I not known better, I would have assumed that he's the devil himself. Before I could get another word in, he spoke again. The bodies and body parts you speak of, they're all gone. By the time a team of investigators got to the cabin, the remains of it had collapsed into the basement. The only thing that remained inside from what you have described was the stench of the dead bodies. I swallowed my saliva. You mean someone covered it up? We do not know what happened. The only piece of evidence we have is the collective report you, your grandmother, and the two other officers have provided. Laura answered. Where are those officers now? Lucifer spoke up and asked Laura. They were questioned today and both have asked to stay home this weekend. Send someone to check on them, Lucifer commanded. My eyes were fixated on his. Those eyes. I remember having seen them before. Have we met before? I asked Lucifer. I don't believe we have, he answered, not bothering to look at me. No, no, I definitely have seen those eyes before. My memory started playing out in my head, the basement, me being tied up, scared of the heavy footsteps sounding above, and then that disheveled boy, his wide smile, the red eyes. I remember how he climbed down and undid my chains. He handed me my clothes, which were lying on the ground, and I dressed myself up. The boy took hold of my hand, and we ran. We ran out of the cabin and into the woods. I remember it was dark. I tripped over and fell, getting a deep bruise on my cheek. Come on, it's following us, the boy yelled at me as he held out a hand to pick me up. I heard an inhumane scream, or maybe a howl sound behind us. We stopped running and hid in some bushes. I remember feeling an intense pain in my chest. I felt like I was dying. The boy held my mouth shut so I wouldn't scream in pain. I looked down to see my clothes stained red. Everything was red. It was still flowing. You're free to go, Mark. I felt a hand on my shoulder. Laura was dismissing me. What was that? It didn't feel like a memory. I wasn't remembering. It was like I was just there. I placed a hand on my chest. Mark? Laura was waiting by the door. I looked around. Lucifer was gone. I walked past her and back into the elevator. The code is 8473, Laura informed me and gave me a half smile. I input the code and then spoke as she turned around to walk back. Those red eyes. I remember the boy had the same red eyes. Then the elevator doors closed. I don't know why I told her that, but she didn't chase after me. I was led back to the front of the station by the same two men dressed in black. 
When I went outside, I noticed that it was dark. That made absolutely no sense. The interview, the interrogation, or whatever you wish to call it, it didn't take longer than 30 minutes. Then how did it get dark so fast? How long was I down there? I asked one of the black men, waiting for me to leave the station. They both looked at each other with wary eyes. Nine hours. What? I whispered under my breath in disbelief. How did I lose eight and a half hours of my time? This was too much. I took a deep breath and walked to my car. I still needed to go buy my son something to make it up to him. I barely got to the store in time and had a couple of minutes to run through. I decided on a cheap Lego set. He loves Legos. When I got home, my son was already asleep. and My wife was watching something in the living room. Where have you been? She asked me in an angry, hushed whisper. It took longer than I thought at the police station. You missed all my calls and texts, she snarled at me. Huh? I pulled out my phone. There were indeed over a dozen calls and texts. I'm sorry. I apologized, giving her a kiss on the forehead. Liam drew something for you. It's on the kitchen counter. Also, dinner's in the fridge. You can microwave it. I nodded and apologized again, walking over to the kitchen. I placed the Lego set on the counter and looked around for Liam's art. It was upside down. I turned it around and I got chills all over my body. I took a sharp breath, trying to process what I was seeing. There appeared to be two boys, green all around them. One of the boys had his hand on his stomach and the stomach was all red. The other boy had red eyes and held his hand over his friend's mouth. Liam drew what I had seen in my vision just an hour ago. He drew me and the red-eyed boy hiding from whatever was chasing us. There was a child's painting done with crayons. It was hard to make the details out. But having seen this scenario just a little bit ago, it all made sense in my head. I shuddered in fear of what this could mean. Is Liam in danger? Are we all in danger? What is going on? I couldn't sleep last night, thinking about everything that had happened the day prior. Nothing made sense. How could I have bled so much when we ran away, but have no scars now? And why did Liam draw that picture? Where had he seen it? Who was Lucifer? Why does the boy that saved me have his eyes? I'll be going to wake up Liam as soon as I finish writing this. I need some answers, and this painting might be the key to everything. I made myself a cup of coffee with shaky hands in the morning. The lack of sleep from staying up all night was getting to me. It was only 7am, but I was getting jittery. I simply couldn't wait any longer. So I gulped the remainder of the bitter coffee down in one go and walked upstairs to my son's room. The door was open, as it always had been, because Liam hated closed doors in our house. If all the doors are open, then our house is one big room, meaning nobody is alone. I remember him saying those words with the widest grin on his mouth, as if he was the smartest boy on the planet at that moment. And maybe he was. I peered inside his room quietly. He was sleeping soundly, cuddled up together with his Pikachu plushie. I walked inside his messy room, and no matter how often we taught him to tidy up, he hated doing it, and we didn't feel like forcing him would be healthy. My feet took me to his bedside. I gently ran my fingers through his messy brown hair. We never considered that Liam would have brown hair because I was blonde and my wife had gorgeous auburn hair. Liam began turning in bed groggily, releasing a yawn in the process. 
Good morning, sleepyhead, I said in a childish voice, smiling down at him. He was rubbing the sleep out of one eye, while the other was half open looking up at me. Dad? He said in a confused voice. Usually, Alice was who woke him up when he was sleeping for too long, so seeing me must have been unusual. Liam yawned again and stretched his arms. Why are you here, Daddy? I kneeled so we'd be face to face. To wake you up, silly? Liam giggled at that. Okay, okay, I'm awake. He giggled again, and then threw his covers off to the side and jumped out of bed. Are you hungry? I asked while beginning to walk towards the door. Yeah, Liam said, now full of energy. What do you want to eat? Liam stopped flailing his arms around and placed a finger on his chin. I laughed. What are you doing, buddy? I'm thinking, he said without moving an inch. And then a couple of seconds later, pancakes. I want to eat pancakes. 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 Okay, okay, bud. I'll go make some pancakes. And how about you tidy up your toys a little? Liam looked at me wide-eyed like I had just said the unspeakable. I laughed again and shook my head, proceeding to walk downstairs. It was no surprise that Liam was right behind me. He sat down at the kitchen counter and noticed the Lego set. Is that for me? He exclaimed loudly. Shh, your mommy's still sleeping, I scolded him. Yeah, this is for you. Sorry for leaving yesterday. It's okay, Daddy. His grin was from ear to ear as he opened up the box and began playing with it. Meanwhile, I began making the pancake batter. Did Mommy give you my drawing? Liam asked in a somewhat shaky voice. I stopped whisking the batter and walked up to him, picking up his drawing in the process. His hands were shaking slightly. His eyes were pointed at his feet. I did. It's a beautiful drawing. Thank you, Liam. Liam looked up at me. His eyes were tearing up. He looked scared. Afraid. I moved my hand to wipe away a stray tear coming down his face. Don't cry, Liam. It's okay. He nodded and wiped away the snot coming out of his nose, using the sleeve of his pajamas. I shook my head, somewhat amused. What is this supposed to be, Liam? I placed his drawing in front of him. He lifted his shaky hand and pointed at the boy with red eyes. Daddy's friend. Then his hand moved to the boy with a red chest. Daddy. His hand moved back down to his side. Where did you see this, Liam? He shook his head in response. He said, I can't say, or you'll get hurt. Who did? He shook his head again, his eyes tearing up. It's okay, Liam. Daddy won't get hurt. He looked up at me with his eyes full of wonder. I often wondered what he saw or what he was looking for. At this moment, however, I knew what he was looking for. He was desperately searching for the truth in my eyes. Do you promise? He sniffled. I smiled at him. I promise. I desperately tried not to let my eyes betray my fake promise. Liam nodded and looked back at the picture, his shaky finger moving to it. Daddy's friend told me. The boy with red eyes? Liam nodded again and sniffed, wiping away his tears. Where did you see him? He shook his head. I released the breath I was holding and tightly embraced my shaken son. It's okay, I whispered into his ear, and he broke down crying. After a couple of minutes, Liam calmed down and his sobs turned to muffled sniffles. I felt a tap on my shoulder and turned my head to see Alice standing there, looking at us with her worried eyes. What's wrong? She whispered under her breath. I'll explain later. I mouthed back to her. I looked back at Liam, who was clinging to me tightly. Are you okay, buddy? He nodded. 
I slowly pulled back from Liam, who didn't seem to want to let go. Eventually, though, he did. Both of our pajamas were covered in tears and snot. Liam looked me up and down and giggled. What's so funny? I asked. My snot is on you, he laughed out loud. I could hear my wife giggling behind me, too. I shook my head. Well, I'm going to go get changed, and Mommy will finish the pancakes, okay? Alice looked at me in shock, and Liam just nodded. I took the picture with me as I walked upstairs. Was it Lucifer? Was he the one talking to Liam? Is Lucifer the boy from my memories? I should call Laura today and speak to her, but I don't have her number. I changed out of my pajamas into black slacks and a white t-shirt, and after shoving Liam's drawing into my pocket, I began walking back downstairs. Liam was now happily playing with Legos again, and the smell of pancakes wafted through the kitchen. I walked over to my wife. Why'd you wake him up so early? It's only half past seven. I needed to ask him about his drawing. I said in a serious tone. When Alice glanced at me without saying anything, I continued explaining. The two boys he drew. It's something from my memory. It's something that happened when I went missing for a month when I was eight. Alice sighed. That's barely a good enough reason to wake him up so early. That was almost 20 years ago. You should move on. He sounded disappointed. It's not like I wanted to suddenly start remembering. It's not like I asked for these bizarre and obscure dreams to haunt me in my sleep. I can't just move on, I sighed, desperately searching for the right words. It haunts me. Every day. I keep remembering more and more. I have nightmares about it. Alice turned and looked me in the eyes. Maybe, she began speaking, her gaze dropping just below my eyes. Maybe you should speak to a therapist again. A therapist? I snarled under my breath. I couldn't believe her. How is a therapist going to explain all those dead bodies I found under the cabin? Maybe that's exactly why you should go to therapy, to get over that trauma. I can't imagine you being fine after discovering something like that. She raised her tone too. I took a deep breath. It's not that simple. She scoffed and turned her back around to care for the pancakes. I took another deep breath. My stress levels were over the roof this morning, and I needed a smoke. Even though I had quit years ago, my wife still smoked. I walked out of the kitchen, through the living room, and into the hallway. I found Alice's purse and fished out a pack of cigarettes and a lighter. I slipped into my flip-flops and walked outside, lighting the cigarette. I took the first puff and immediately felt a little more at ease, but then I struggled with inhaling the smoke and began coughing. Something shifted in my vision, and I felt lightheaded, then suddenly my vision went black. I blinked a couple of times and the light returned to me my vision still blurry. I was in the forest. Mark! Mark! I heard a distant voice whisper to me. It sounded distorted, like a glitch, like I wasn't supposed to hear it. I was still coughing, except this time I felt a hand covering my mouth and the coughs were coming from the pits of my stomach, accompanied by blood. I looked down at my arms. They were stained in it, too. To my left were the red eyes of the boy that saved me. Those eyes were full of desperation. Imagine you were climbing a cliff with your buddy and fell. How would your friend look at you as your body tumbled into the abyss? Stay quiet, he whispered into my ear. I had almost forgotten we were being chased. This is just a vision. Then why does the excruciating pain in my chest feel so real? It felt like I was being stabbed in the same place repeatedly. It was unbearable. 
I could hear heavy footsteps treading all around us. It made me wonder, what was it that was pursuing us, and why? Could it be whatever or whoever turned into my grandmother? Something else entirely. My breathing was heavy. It felt like I had a huge boulder weighing down on my lungs, and the coughing wasn't helping my situation. And we stayed like that, huddled up together in a bush for what felt like hours. Eventually, the footsteps began growing more and more distant, until we couldn't hear them anymore. The pain, however, only worsened. I felt my savior's hand relax, and it moved away from my mouth, and in that exact moment, I retched forward, a stream of blood escaping my mouth. I fell backward with a rough landing, making me cough again, and then watched as the boy inspected me with curiosity. Your stitches came undone, he said while removing his shirt. Can you move? Get up? I shook my head in response. He lifted me and began trying to pressure my wound by tying a shirt around my torso. I couldn't even fathom how a boy my age knew to do something like this. Despite the pain, I felt all around my body right now. My mind was clear. I had so many questions I wanted to ask, but my lips wouldn't open. As if I wasn't meant to speak right now. As if fate itself was holding my mouth shut. There. Should be better. The boy admired his handiwork. Then he began going through his pockets. He pulled out a ziplocked plastic bag with what looked to be white pills. He took one out. Open wide. He instructed me, and I obliged. He placed the pill on the top of my tongue. Try to swallow it. It'll make you feel better. I wondered if it was a painkiller, and if it was, it was truly powerful, because as soon as I somehow managed to swallow the pill, the pain began subsiding in my chest, and not even a minute later, I could breathe again. It was gone. What is this miracle medicine? What happened? I muttered, still trying to catch my breath. Your organs, it, it took them. The reality of that didn't really hit me at first. It was like my 8-year-old mind didn't understand what that meant, but my 28-year-old mind was in full panic mode right now. Who did? It. The boy was crouching beside me, still alert for whatever or whoever was chasing us. Was it who was chasing us? He nodded. I pulled myself off the ground, slightly wincing in pain. I could tell my younger mind didn't understand what organs meant, and I could tell that it was curious. What organs did it take? The boy looked me in the eyes with surprise. He scratched his head as if deciding whether to tell me or not. Then he stood up and motioned for me to follow. I'll take you where it's safe. I felt at ease with this boy, but his red eyes scared me. I'd never seen someone with red eyes before. We quietly walked through the forest, jumping at every twig snapping or leaves crunching. The conversations were minimal and done in hushed whispers. What's your name? He asked me after some time. Mark, what's yours? I answered and asked back. Iris, he replied, glancing back to make sure I was right behind him. I smiled at him, and he turned back. We continued walking through the eerily still and dark forest in silence. After a couple of more minutes, Iris stopped walking and I almost bumped into him. We're here. He took hold of my hand, which surprised me. He pulled me to stand next to him, and in front of us was a tall, spiral staircase made of brick stone, looking brand new. He clutched my hand tightly. All of them. What? I asked, confused. It took all of them, he said, again. He pulled me forward to walk, and my vision grew blurry, 
Both of my eyes were stinging and tense, like I had something inside of them. I tried to blink it out, and soon the light began returning to me. Sunlight. The intense burning receded and I could see again. I was back on my front porch. My cigarette was nothing but a burnt-up bud. My head was throbbing with an intensity I hadn't felt before, and I felt lightheaded. I held onto the doorframe for support, and once the sudden wave had passed, I steadied myself and re-entered my house. The sudden waft of pancakes relaxed my tensed-up body that was still feeling the distant sting of the chest wound from my memories. I still hadn't fully processed what happened, the things that I learned, the things that it meant. I instinctively pulled out my son's drawing from my pocket. My blood froze when I saw it. It had changed. I saw the backs of two boys holding hands and in front of them, a spiral staircase leading to nowhere. Why did it change? How did it change? I walked into the kitchen, still looking at the drawing. Liam was eating his pancakes and my wife was nowhere to be seen. Liam? I said in a higher pitched tone. He looked at me with curiosity. Then his eyes went wide when he saw the drawing I was holding. Do you know something about this? My tone was serious. He swallowed. It's you and your friend. I sighed. I need to calm down. Liam has done nothing wrong. I'm sorry, Liam. I apologized to him and walked upstairs. I need to clear my head. I also want to go to the forest. Maybe I can find these stairs I've been dreaming about, but I can't go alone. I still remember being stalked by whatever or whoever was in the forest the last time I went. I search for my phone and call my best friend Chris. It rings for about 15 seconds before he picks up. Ark, why are you calling me so early? Do you want to accompany me to the forest? What? Chris responded in a raspy, tired voice. What forest? Why? He added after a moment. Grab your gun too. I grabbed my keys and headed for the safe in my closet. My gun? Are we hunting? He sounded confused. For protection. After inputting the combination, I grabbed my gun, ammunition, and my gun holster. Protection? Chris said in disbelief. Dude, what's going on? His voice was clearer now. It's... I paused, searching for the right thing to say. How would he react if I tried to tell him the truth? To explain what was happening? I'd sound like a crazed man. My wife already thinks I'm a nut job. Complicated. I'll try to explain it in person. There's no time now. I finished speaking and quickly descended the stairs. A sigh resounded from the receiver. Meet me near my grandmother's place, but make sure she doesn't see you. When? When are we meeting? Chris sounded impatient. Maybe upset. See you in 30 minutes. After hanging up the phone, I began walking towards the kitchen. I could hear hushed whispers inside. Don't tell Daddy, okay? I peered inside. Liam was nodding to my wife, Alice. What's going on here? I announced my presence. Alice's eyes showed a momentary glint of surprise before she composed herself. Nothing. I'm helping Liam with his Legos. She answered. Liam wasn't looking at me. His eyes were fixed to the floor. I heard you, I said, trying to gouge out Alice's reaction. She showed none. Heard what? Her eyes narrowed and she scratched her head trying to look oblivious. Don't tell me what. She bit her lip. Liam shuddered. I slowly approached my wife and son, but stopped when Alice took a step back. Her hands looked shaky. Was she afraid of me? I took a deep breath and turned back around and began walking out. 
I'm leaving. I'll be back by dinner. After one last glance towards the open kitchen doorway, I bolted out the front door and into my car. So many things are running through my head right now. I just sat there, taking steady breaths. I lifted up my shirt to inspect my chest. There were no scars, no stitches, nothing. My organs were there, otherwise I wouldn't be alive. I wouldn't be breathing. I wouldn't be feeling my rapid heartbeat. How did I get them back? How did I survive? How was I even alive without them? Iris said it took all of them. After switching the car into gear, I began driving to my destination. A short 15-minute drive later, I parked a couple blocks down from my grandmother's house. I sat there just waiting impatiently, tapping my fingers on the steering wheel. Then I felt something in my jacket's pocket. It was hard, rectangle-shaped, and thin like paper. I carefully pulled it out of my pocket, only to sigh a sigh of relief when I realized it was just a business card. It was gray with a familiar face decorating it. Private Detective Lucifer was written on the back in big red letters, and under that a number to call. It looked too simple to be a business card. How did it get into my pocket? With some time to kill before Chris arrives, I decided to call him. One ring later, someone picked up. Hello, his deep voice called out. Hello, uh, this is Mark. We met. I began saying, but he interrupted me. I've been waiting for your call, Mark. He spoke slowly, as if I were a five-year-old. Waiting? Why? After a pause, he spoke again. You're in danger. Danger? What danger? I hoped he wouldn't hear the desperation in my voice. The office. He began speaking, but a knock at the driver's side window startled me. It was Chris. I have to go, I said into the receiver and hung up before he could say another word. I'm tired of everybody telling me that I'm in danger. I have a gun. If anybody tries something, they're the ones that are in danger. I climbed out of my car and locked it behind me. I greeted Chris with a hug and I began leading him towards the forest. So, will you begin explaining? He was a couple feet behind me. I could feel his eyes piercing daggers at the back of my head. What was I supposed to tell him? I didn't know. I couldn't think. And then it clicked to me. Everything sounds crazy out of this world except the bodies that I found in the basement of that cabin. That was real. On Thursday, I ventured out into the woods to that old cabin behind my grandmother's house. I let the words speak for themselves. It had collapsed in on itself, but there was a basement. A foul stench was coming from inside. After a glance back, just to make sure he was still following behind me, I continued. There were bodies. Body parts. My phone buzzed in my pocket. I ignored it. Mark. Dang, man. Chris whistled. Do you remember when I went missing 20 years ago? Yeah. He replied with a hint of a question on his lips. I think that whoever did that, they took me. We finally arrived at a drive and into the forest. The road goes about a half dozen miles deep to a park ranger's cabin. If you want to camp out here, you have to let them know. Is that why we're going into the forest? Surely you don't think they're still out there. To answer his question, I began explaining. Of course I called the police, and once they got there, the basement had collapsed too. The strangest thing was there was no sign of dead bodies or any organs. The only thing that remained was the stench of rotting bodies. I glanced back. Chris gulped his saliva. So, what? We're here to hunt them? Is it them? 
as in multiple, or is it it? I shook my head. I don't know. Shouldn't we leave this to the police? I mean, we're not equipped for this. Just, just trust me, this once, please. I interrupted him. No matter how much I wanted to tell him the real reason why we're here, I couldn't. I could only pray we wouldn't encounter whatever was lurking in this cursed forest. After a quiet five-minute walk down the road, we plunged into the trees, not following any marked path. We were both on high alert from the get-go and my hand was on the holster gun at all times. It was still fairly early in the morning. My face was basked in the streets of warm sunlight that got through the treetops. Birds were chirping all around us. However, the deeper we ventured, the quieter it got. We made small talk along the way, and I could tell Chris was stressed. He didn't like any of this. Maybe I shouldn't have lied to him. Although, it technically wasn't a lie. After about half an hour, we stopped at a clearing to take a breather. My legs had begun aching. Walking through a forest is no easy task when you're a trained keyboard warrior. My profession is programming. I rarely go out. How long are we going to wander in here? Chris asked. He wasn't tired, but I could guess he also didn't expect to spend a Sunday morning wandering through a forest. Until we find what I'm looking for, I responded. Man, we have no water, no food, <clears throat> no supplies, and we keep going deeper. Chris sighed. We'll get lost. He's right. I know he is. But still, I can't just leave empty-handed. It's like my spirit is being pulled into the forest. I don't know when I got this strong urge to learn to understand what happened to me. I made a decision then. You can go, man. I won't force you to come along. Chris looked at me wide-eyed like I had just cursed him out. I'm not going to leave you alone. He stood up and took a deep breath. But if we get lost, I'll kill you myself. We both laughed at that, and I stretched my arms to the sky. All right, let's keep walking. Chris nodded, and we walked side by side, the mood now much lighter between us. We hadn't realized when the forest grew silent. Each twig snapping and leaf crunching appeared to be much louder than before. The birds had grown silent, too, as if the slightest sound made would mean their death. Do you hear that? I asked Chris. Hear what? He glanced at me, his eyes betraying a glint of confusion. The birds. What birds? They're gone. He looked around us and listened in. You're right. We both stopped in our tracks and that's when I felt it. A presence. I felt hostile. My hair stood on end and my muscles tightened. Do you feel it? I asked Chris. His hand was over his gun. Yeah. We were both on high alert, looking around for whatever was stalking us. We should move, Chris whispered into my ear. Yeah. Our feet slowly carried us through the forest for what felt like hours. The feeling of being watched, of being stalked, never disappeared. It only grew in intensity the deeper we ventured. I flinched at the slightest sounds, pointing my gun in that direction, but I wasn't able to spot anyone or anything that could have made those sounds. Have you ever been in such an overwhelming situation that it felt like you were on the verge of an anxiety attack? Well, that's how I felt in that moment. My hands were shaking, my palms sweaty. I don't know why I was so afraid of what I couldn't see, but I could feel it, and it made me shiver. What's that? I looked to where Chris was pointing. It was a staircase. A staircase in the middle of the freaking woods, leading up to nowhere. I swallowed hard. This is what I came here for. 
Let's check it out. I whispered back to him, and we slowly inched towards it. It looked like concrete, taken straight out of an apartment complex. Only about a dozen steps. The last step looked like a platform of sorts, but there were no more stairs that would connect to it. I heard a faint growl a couple of yards behind us. Did you hear that? Chris was panicking. We both stood still as statues as we looked towards the direction that the growl came from. And then it finally showed itself. It stepped out from behind a tree that was much too small to hide its large and tall body. At first glance, it looked like a wolf or bear hybrid that stood on its back paws. But the more I stared at it, the worse its appearance got. In place of what should be paws were human-like hands covered in scales, with long and sharp claws instead of nails. I would have called it a skinwalker if not for the two large horns protruding from the sides of its head like a bull. It had dark red eyes, which stared at us intently, instilling fear into our souls. Its head resembled a snake with a long, flexible neck covered in scales. Its body was half covered by fur and half by scales, which looked hard enough to reflect bullets. It wasn't only standing on what appeared to be its back paws. It was walking towards us, as if trying to imitate us. It sped its pace up. Chris, run! I yelled at him and began sprinting towards the staircase. A moment later, I heard a gunshot and another growl, louder than the last one. I glanced back. Chris had shot at it. It was completely unharmed. Chris! I screamed at him. He turned around and bolted towards me. The thing behind us growled again, another quick glance to make sure Chris was following me. I had noticed that the creature was running towards us on all fours. Its human-like hands with claws had transformed into paws. The staircase was just another yard away. When I got to it, I took the first step and then heard Chris scream in pain behind me. Just as I was turning my head, I suddenly felt lightheaded. Something shifted in my vision and I fell onto my back. I tried to blink the darkness out of my eyes and found myself in a familiar place. The forest. I felt a tight clutch in my right hand. It was Iris. He began walking up the spiral stairs, tightly clutching my hand as if my fingers would slip out at any moment. The stairs were creaking under our weight. Once we got to the top, something unfathomable happened. Our surroundings suddenly shifted. Light appeared above us, illuminating the spiral stairs we were on. I shielded my eyes from the blinding light. The light breeze vanished next, replaced by a comforting warmth. I blinked once, twice, and the forest was gone entirely, replaced by tall walls. They reminded me of the walls you'd see in a log cabin. Iris walked up the remaining steps, dragging me along. We were in some sort of cabin. It was warm and cozy. The fireplace crackled peacefully. Where... Where are we? I spoke up. Iris's grip had lessened. He released a deep breath he'd been holding. He turned around to look me in the eyes, half of his face covered in the warm light coming off the fire. Home. I could feel the confusion on my eight-year-old face. Finally let go of my hand and got on one knee. Take off your shirt. Iris instructed me and I obliged. He placed his palm on my chest. I could feel the warmth radiating off of it. It'll take some time to grow them back, he whispered under his breath. Grow what back? My eight-year-old self asked. Your organs. He retracted his hand. Follow me. We walked out of what must have been the living room and into what must have been the kitchen. He grabbed two wooden cups and poured us some clear liquid from a glass jar. 
It looked like water. I took a sip. It wasn't water. It was sweeter than water. How can I grow them back? I asked. By drinking that, and a lot of other things. Iris took another sip. Did it take your organs too? No, why would it have? Iris was looking at me with a confused expression. I had grown a little more accustomed to his red eye color. Because you're drinking that too. He chuckled and shook his head. How did those stairs take us here? I let my eight-year-old curiosity run wild. Because of me, Iris responded. What are you? Iris smiled at that question, looked me in the eyes, and after a pause, spoke up. I'm your friend. My vision grew blurry, and I could feel myself falling, even though I wasn't. It was so dark that I wasn't sure if my eyes were open or not. Eventually, I felt sunlight on my eyelids and opened my eyes. The soft grass below me had cushioned my fall, but I still winced in pain. Then I remembered Chris, and thanks to the adrenaline, I quickly recovered and stood up, doing a full 360 to examine my surroundings. I sighed in relief when I noticed him collapse just a few feet away from me, but gasped in surprise and horror when I got closer and noticed that his head was gone. Chris! I wailed out loudly, dropping down on my knees next to his dead body, not caring if that monster heard me. This was all my fault. My fault. Tears were dripping down my face and onto his shirt. Through my blurry vision, I noticed that the staircase was still there, looming over us. Maybe. Just maybe this could work. I stood up, picking up Chris's headless body and began limping towards the stairs. If I survived back then, maybe Chris can survive now. Have you ever jumped out of a plane with no prior experience? No parachute for a safe landing? All you can do is close your eyes and pray that you don't feel the impact. The brave ones keep their eyes open. They watch as the ground slowly gets closer. That's how I felt in that moment, while limping towards the staircase. I was completely unprepared, and my chances of survival were close to zero. When I was eight, I got kidnapped, and my organs were harvested. I somehow survived and grew them all back. Those words were bumping around in my head like an old TV's idol icon bumped around on the black screen. The more I thought about it, the less I believed it. But I had to believe. I had to, otherwise all hope of bringing my dead friend back to life would be lost. Chris's body was heavy. I had him on my back while hunched over, holding him by his arms which were thrown over my shoulders. The tears wouldn't stop coming. I kept inching closer, taking small steps while breathing heavily. Once I finally reached the stairs, I hesitated. Everything about it just felt wrong. My mind rung alarm bells and raised red flags. Don't climb those stairs. It warned me. I gulped down the saliva that had collected on my tongue and took a deep breath. I chose to ignore the warnings my mind gave me, and I took the first step. I wouldn't do that if I were you. A deep, familiar voice announced its presence behind me. I took my foot off the first step and took my time to turn around to face him. Lucifer stood a few yards away. He still wore the same black suit and black top hat I had seen him wear the day before. Lucifer stood still like a statue. I, I have to. I shuddered back between my dying sobs. It is most unfortunate what happened to your friend. His gaze fell on the headless body on my back. I, I, I grew them back. Maybe he can. Maybe he can too. Lucifer shook his head. You're not in your right mind. And after a pause, he added, 
I can help you. You can bring Chris back? I felt a tiny sliver of hope. I would have done anything to bring him back, even sell my soul to the devil. He bit his lower lip and took a step forward. I'm not sure if your friend can be saved. He has him now. My friend is on my back, I snarled back. Lucifer shook his head again. That is not your friend. What kind of nonsense is he saying? I let go of Chris's arms and let his body fall onto the stairs behind me. I turned around and began examining his body. He wore the same clothes, he had the same body build, even his birthmark on the neck was in full view. I turned to face Lucifer again. He observed everything I did with cool, unbothered eyes. Looking at his red eyes, I noticed how much they reminded me of Iris's. Are you Iris? Lucifer's eyes twitched at that question. He put his cane down on the ground and took another slow step forward. You... you have his eyes. Lucifer's stoic face showed the slightest hint of emotion in the form of a momentary downward curve of his lips. He opened his mouth and moved his tongue around, as if he was speaking to me. I couldn't hear a word he was saying. He broke our eye contact and then took another step forward and spoke again. I still couldn't hear anything. I can't hear you, I said, but those words weren't audible to me either. I could feel my mouth and tongue move as it always did, but I couldn't hear anything. I wiped away the tears that blurred my eyes and sniffled. I glanced back to look at Chris's body, feeling another giant pang of guilt, like a sharp knife piercing my heart. The pain I felt in my heart transferred to my head in the form of migraines. My vision darkened and I blinked, holding my head. Have you ever stood up too quickly and felt lightheaded? Your vision darkened and unfocused? That's how I felt then, multiplied by a hundred. I stumbled around trying not to fall, while desperately trying to blink the overcoming darkness away. Unfortunately, the lightheadedness defeated me, and I felt as I hit the grass below. In similar fashion to the previous visions, it took some time for my senses to return, and once it did, I found myself back in my eight-year-old body. I was in a cabin, except it wasn't the log cabin. It was in the cabin in which the kidnapper held me. I tried to move, but the tight ropes around my wrists and ankles prevented me from doing that. I tried to scream, and unlike the last time I was here, it worked. Help! I yelled at the top of my eight-year-old lungs. I yelled and I yelled until I heard footsteps up above. They were heavy. The secret door into the basement opened and a familiar man came down. His red eyes widened in surprise. How are you alive? His deep voice said. More a question to himself than me. It was Lucifer. I felt my entire body tense up as he got closer. I began inspecting my body. You no longer have a heart. Yet, you still live. I gulped my saliva down and tried to stop the shaking. Lucifer's eyes looked like a wild beast's, impatiently waiting for their prey. They were wide. His lips were curved into a wide, creepy grin. Then I felt a sharp pang in my chest. With one swift motion, Lucifer pulled his hand out with one of my lungs. I screamed in pain. Pain tolerance isn't high. He spoke in a clinical tone, as if taking notes. I felt so helpless, so lost. I just wanted the pain to end. I wished to die. He shoved his hand into my chest again, then I screamed. He clicked his tongue. That is getting very annoying, he said in a displeased tone, and then pulled his hand out. 
He looked me in the eyes, and it was as if he was looking at a fly, something he could squash at a moment's notice. Lucifer licked his lips and spoke again. This might hurt. He forced my mouth open and took hold of my tongue. Then he pulled. I wanted to scream. I wanted to shout, but I couldn't. My tongue was gone. He ripped it off like it was an old band-aid. I passed out from the pain. Everything went dark again. I thought the vision was over and that I'd return. I feared that. Now that I knew Lucifer was behind my disappearance, I didn't know what he would do to me. My senses returned to me and I found myself in a bed, back in the log cabin. Iris was sitting on the ground beside me. I just looked at him. I didn't even know how to begin expressing how thankful I was for being saved from Lucifer. I wanted to ask Iris why my kidnapper had his eyes, but I couldn't. I was merely reliving the past. I couldn't change or affect it in these visions. Iris looked up at me from the ground. His stoic expression curved into a friendly smile. You're awake. I nodded. He jumped off the ground and walked out of the room. A few moments later, he returned with a wooden cup. Drink, he instructed. I sat up in the bed and took the cup from his hand. It was the miracle organ regrowing liquid. There was something off about me. I could live or survive without any organs and I had somehow regrown my tongue, judging by the fact that I could feel it in my mouth right now. Am I human? Iris had his head rested on the bed beside me. His eyes were looking up into mine. I chuckled. Iris smiled. For some reason, I still felt tired, sleepy. So I closed my eyes and drifted off into the darkness. My senses began returning to me, slowly. I pulled myself off the ground and sat down on the grass, rubbing my eyes. The wind was whistling a calming tune. Then my grogginess cleared, replaced by another migraine. My Winston pain. Are you okay? His deep voice caught me by surprise. It was much closer than before. He only stood about a dozen feet away from me. I hurried to my feet and caught whiff of an awful smell behind me. It smelled like rotten meat left in the sun for too long. I glanced back. Chris's body still lay there unbothered. Surely his body hadn't decomposed to the point of beginning to rot and smell in such a short time. I turned my attention back to Lucifer, desperately trying to keep my face cool. I didn't want him to know that I remembered that I saw what he did to me. Lucifer sighed and took a step towards me. I flinched and instinctively took one back. My foot was touching the first stair. He looked down at my feet with curiosity. Why are you backing away? I only want to help. His voice sounded genuine, innocent. I knew that it was all a ruse, a lie. I didn't know what to do. My options floated around in my head. Grab Chris and sprint up the stairs hoping it transport me somewhere safe like that time with Iris, convince Lucifer that I don't know anything and pray he doesn't slay me, run off into the woods, leaving Chris behind. I didn't like any of my options, but I had to choose and fast. How did you find me? I asked in an attempt to buy some time. What if he was the monster that decapitated Chris? Then a strange thought crossed my mind. Where is Chris's head? Surely it would be laying around here, somewhere. I started looking around, trying to spot it, but no matter how hard I looked, there was nowhere to be found. I figured you'd come to the forest. All I needed to do was follow your shouts and screams. Lucifer placed his cane forward and took another step. There was now less than twelve feet between us, a distance that could be crossed in mere seconds. 
One wrong move and my head could fly too. Why are you so afraid of me? I'm not here to hurt you. I bit my lower lip. My nervousness was showing itself in the form of a slight tremble. I took another step backwards, planting my foot onto the first stair. Don't. He raised his voice, and then composed himself and lowered his tone. Don't climb those stairs. Why? I was waiting for an opportunity to grab Chris's arms and pull him up. I'd rather climb the stairs than face Lucifer. He sighed. It's dangerous. After seeing that I wasn't budging, he spoke again. Do you remember the two officers that brought you to the collapsed cabin? Why was he mentioning them now? What did they have to do with anything? I looked at him, confused. They're missing. Presumed dead. My eyes widened in horror, but he wasn't done yet. Their wives, brutally murdered in their homes. Their limbs scattered all across their homes. And the children. He paused and took a deep breath. Lucifer looked sad, upset. He also looked angry. His eyes were brimming with rage. Their eyes were gouged out. Their tongues ripped out. Their hands and feet cut off and their eardrums shattered. His gaze drooped to the floor and he took another deep breath. I can't believe what I was hearing. Was it a lie? Was it true? Did Lucifer really kill all of those families? If so, why? Why was he telling me this? Why was he trying to buy my trust? To breathing out, he picked his head back up and looked at me again. The emotion that he had shown in his eyes, on his face, now drained to nothingness again. He did this. Who? I asked. He cannot be trusted. Who? I asked again, louder than before. Before I realized, Lucifer leapt forward towards me, and his cane connected with the side of my head. The impact threw me a few feet to the left, and my stomach connected with the ground, knocking the wind out of me. I coughed, trying to get myself back to my feet. Stay down, he warned. His voice was rougher than before. I sat up and looked at him with wide eyes. Stay down. Lucifer appeared right above me in a split second. His cane pointed straight at my face. He looked me in the eyes, his own showing a glint of remorse. I had missed my chance to escape up the stairs. He turned around and began walking towards the stairs. This isn't your friend, he said. What are you doing? Stay away from his body, I screamed, standing up to follow behind, but I was too late. I watched in horror as Lucifer placed a hand on Chris's chest. Lucifer glanced at me, his lips curved down into a frown. Something began happening with Chris's body. It morphed and changed repeatedly for over a dozen seconds. It was aging decades in the span of seconds. His appearance continued to grow more gruesome until he became unrecognizable, like a corpse that had been buried for decades. Lucifer finally lifted his hand. This is the real identity of his body. He pointed to the now rotten corpse on the ground with his cane. My eyes were darting between him and the body on the ground. And it wasn't Chris. Was he alive? What happened to him? Lucifer walked over to me. Your friend is alive. I still didn't know who to trust or what to trust. All that mattered right now was that Chris might be alive. Where is he? I looked up to meet his eyes. I was desperate and I'm sure he knew that. He's been taken. By who? Where? Lucifer broke the eye contact and looked into the forest behind me. It's getting dark. 
we need to leave. I glanced up at the sky, and the sun was beginning to set. I didn't understand how that was possible. It was just morning. I'm not going anywhere until you tell me where Chris is, I hissed at him. Nothing was going to change the fact that he's my kidnapper from over 20 years ago. I couldn't bring myself to trust him. But if I wanted to see Chris again, my only choice was to listen to him. You collapsed earlier. What did he show you? Lucifer looked at me as he said that, as if he wanted to see how I would react. Show me? What are you talking about? I relived a memory, and nobody showed me anything. I know you've been having visions. What was the last one? He narrowed his eyes. How did you... I began saying, but Lucifer cut me off. Tell me. He scorned at me, as if I was merely an annoying fly between his fingers, and that tone scared me. I was afraid of what he'd do to me. I didn't want to relive what he had done to me all those years ago. I relived the torture that you put me through, ripping out my intestines, my tongue, all because I survived. I responded carefully, but I didn't hide my anger. His lips curved into an amused expression, as if I had just told him a funny joke. Curious, he said, then turned around and began walking off. I just sat there, wide-eyed. He glanced back at me. What are you waiting for? We need to go. His authoritative tone forced my body to move. It stood without my mind allowing it to, and started limping towards Lucifer. I had no control. Chris, I hesitated. Where is he? Lucifer was a few feet in front of me, and something shuffled beside me and Lucifer's head snapped in the direction the sound came from. He won't let us go this easy, he whispered under his breath. Another sound came from the trees and a branch fell onto the ground, startling me. I took a step back. I took a step back. My body was listening to me again. Lucifer was on high alert. His eyes darted around us, as if he could see whoever was stalking us. Unlike the previous one, I felt no presence. I felt no eyes on me, but I knew it was there. I felt a sudden stabbing pain at the side of my head and I collapsed to the ground. I gasped in pain and... My vision blurred. I could see two silhouettes facing off a few yards away. It was Lucifer and some animalistic-looking monster that stood on its two back legs. It wasn't the same thing me and Chris encountered. Or maybe it was. Maybe it had changed again. Get out of here. Lucifer's voice sounded in my head. How is he inside of my head? What are you waiting for? He glanced at me, his voice still inside of my head. I pulled myself up and began running. This was the perfect opportunity for me to get away from both whatever that creature was and Lucifer. I ran and ran, and no matter how exhausted I felt, no matter how much I wanted to stop, I didn't stop. Even when I got out of the forest, kept running. Mark? I stopped dead in my tracks and looked towards the voice. It was my grandmother. She stood in her driveway. I walked over to her, catching my breath. Grandma. I said, what are you doing here? Where are you running? She had a perplexed expression on her wrinkle-ridden face. I, I, I couldn't think of an excuse. She laughed and shook her head. Come inside, eat dinner. She motioned with her hand to follow, and I did. I still cook for both of us, despite you living with your own family now, my grandmother said. She held the door for me, and I entered her house. It was just as cozy as I remembered it. So what are you doing at such a late hour? She called from the kitchen. 
I needed to come up with a believable lie. I was out for a run in the neighborhood, just wanted to clear my head. The furniture was lined with familiar pictures of my parents, mostly of my mom, and then me. For some reason, looking at these pictures made me feel nostalgic. I missed them. My grandmother walked into the living room with two bowls of soup and placed them down on the table. This smells delicious, I said. It really did. It was a red beet soup. And just as I was putting the spoon to my lips, someone knocked on the door. I'll get it. I stood up and walked over to the door, but didn't open it yet. Who is it? I called out. Open it. A voice rang inside my head. Lucifer's voice. My body moved before I could protest and the lock clicked open. Lucifer pushed the door open and walked in. At the same moment, my grandmother came over. Who is it? Her eyes widened when she saw Lucifer. She muttered something under her breath and turned around to walk back into the living room. I looked at Lucifer. His eyes were following her. Don't hurt her, please, I pleaded. He probably came here to take me. He ignored me and began walking towards the living room. Seemingly going after my grandmother, his steps were slow and careful. I followed after him. Please, I began saying. He put a finger to his lips in order to silence me. I gulped my saliva. My grandmother had sat back down to the table, still murmuring to herself. Her hands looked shaky. Lucifer looked at the soup that was served to me with disdain. Poison. Really? He spoke to my grandmother in a disappointed tone and then sighed. He got to you too, didn't he? My grandmother looked up at me with pleading eyes. What are you talking about? I asked him. Lucifer glanced at me. Your soup is poisoned. Poisoned? I walked over to the table and looked at the soup. Why would my grandmother poison me? The same reason why she brought you to that cabin 20 years ago. Lucifer responded without skipping a beat. My grandmother's face dropped and her eyes fell to the ground. He turned around to look at me. What name did he give you? Who? Felt hopeless against him, as if I had no choice but to cooperate. The boy you see in your visions. He examined my face, awaiting my answer. Iris, I responded after taking a deep breath. Lucifer just laughed and then spoke. How dare you use my grandfather's name? He spat. Who is he? Lucifer walked over to my grandmother's side. I held my breath. He looked me in the eyes and then spoke. My foolish son. Is he foolish because he helped me escape from you? Is what I wanted to say. But instead, I just looked at Lucifer in shock with my mouth half open. He picked up his cane and held it above my grandmother's head. No, stop, I screamed at him. Why do you wish to protect the woman that sold you out? He sounded genuinely curious, as if it was something he couldn't comprehend. Don't listen to him, Mark. He's lying. Silence, woman, Lucifer warned. How did she betray me? You're the one that tortured me because I was different. I was desperate. She brought you to that cabin in the forest. She brought you to my son. My grandmother opened her mouth to speak, but Lucifer silenced her before she muttered another word. Her mouth was hanging open, but no words were coming out. What are you saying? I, I don't understand. Lucifer sighed. It'll be best if I show you. He began walking towards me, and I instinctively took a step back. Show me. How? My voice was wary. How could I trust him? A memory. He stopped a few feet in front of me. 
You can decide what you think after I make you remember. He walked the remaining few steps to me and placed a hand on my shoulder. My vision shifted like the previous times, and my eyesight grew blurry. I felt myself falling. Imagine jumping off a building into the endless abyss. That's what it felt like, like I would never stop falling. My eyesight slowly began returning to me. I found myself in my grandmother's house. I was eight again. I was playing outside, swinging on the swing. My grandmother waved me from inside the house with a sad smile on her face. She walked away from the window, and I saw the silhouette of a second person walking after her. My curious, eight-year-old self decided to snoop, so I walked over to the house and tried to listen in. They refused, and they paid the price, a male, childish voice said. Please, he's just a child. My grandmother sounded sad. He's not an ordinary child. After a pause, the person added, I will bring them back as soon as I'm done with the boy. They will never forgive me. My grandmother was crying. They won't even remember. She sniffled. Good. Bring him to the cabin in the woods. There's a basement there. I'll be waiting. I heard footsteps and ran back outside. This is better for all of us. He's not human like you. Then a familiar boy walked out into the backyard. Iris smiled at me. Being the polite eight-year-old that I was, I waved and smiled back. He walked into the woods. My grandmother came outside soon after. Do you want to go to the forest? She asked. I giggled in excitement. Yes! She took my hand and walked into the forest. She brought me to the cabin. She made me mushroom soup with something in it, which made me fall asleep. My eight-year-old self couldn't understand what was happening. All I could think was, why? Why did she do this? My vision blurred as my body fell asleep. I woke back up in the present. I tried to blink the darkness away and opened my eyes to Lucifer, observing me curiously. I was down on the ground. Do you trust me now? His deep voice sounded unsettling. I stood back up and walked over to my grandmother. Why? My voice was laced with hurt. Why did you do it? She looked up to meet my gaze. You are not supposed to be born, she spat. You were not supposed to come back alive, she added. Why? Why did you tell me that I was kidnapped when we spoke a couple days ago? You cried in my arms. I was angry. I wanted to hurt her. She felt guilty, Lucifer said from beside me. When you were taken, she reported your disappearance 24 hours later. She never once mentioned seeing you being taken. All she said was that you wandered off. He began explaining. I thought it was strange how you told Laura about a skinwalker-like creature that imitated your grandmother and took you into the forest. I looked at him in surprise. I didn't know he was capable of speaking so much. He usually only spoke as much as necessary. I killed all the skinwalkers in this forest over a hundred years ago. I nodded, pretending to understand. What am I? I'm not sure, but you're not human. Then my son wants whatever you have. What is it that I have? I was confused. You should already know by now. The truth was that I didn't. Things seemed off in my memory, sure, but what exactly did he want from me? Shrugged in response, Lucifer sighed. What do you want to do with her? Lucifer glanced at my grandmother. Leave her alone. My son will use her against you. Then I'll keep her safe. You can't even keep yourself safe. He was right about that. Chris got taken because of me. Why is he doing all this? 
Why? He had me 20 years ago. Why didn't he take what he wanted then? Lucifer scoffed. He was a child, and I helped you escape before he figured out how to take it from you. Why don't I remember anything? Why are there no scars? I wanted you to be able to live a normal life. I helped you forget, and I transformed your body into what it was before all the scars were incurred. Similar to how that corpse was transformed to look like your friend's body. I looked at him wide-eyed. I had it all wrong. Iris never tried to help me. It was Lucifer. How do I know what's real and what isn't? You can't. I sat down at the table, and my legs were starting to feel wobbly. This was so much to process, so much to understand. I had finally learned the truth that I so desperately wanted. We need to save Chris. I sighed loudly and leaned back. Lucifer smiled for the first time ever. We will. I hope you enjoyed this series. If you did, give a like on the video, maybe comment, subscribe. If you'd like to do more than that, though, and, and support the channel, you become a channel member. But you know what? Subscribing is just as cool. There's also a Discord you can join to come hang out with the rest of us. But all of that you can find in the description below. Once again, if you made it this far, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you in the next one.